0: So uh, if you guys don't know, uh, my name's Alan. I'm uh, one of the elders here at uh, Thrive. Uh, I'm normally back there where you see Jen right now. That's why nobody recognizes me. Uh, Brian, like Jesse said, is actually at Mardi Gras right now. They got uh, the whole team with them out there, Nathan and Phil Buck and Dave Ebert. They're all down there. And like Jesse said, it's like amazing things are happening. So it's, it's an awesome time. But if we could just take a minute, we could, uh, we could pray here this morning before we start. I know I need it, and uh, they need it down there as well. So, Heavenly Father, we just uh, we come before you this morning, Lord, in uh, in faith, and we just pray, Lord, that you continue to watch over the team down in Mardi Gras, Lord. Uh, you just uh, you be with me today as I deliver your message, Lord, and uh, you just be with us here, Jesus. In your name we pray, Amen. So we're in the Corinthian letters still. Uh, a little brief recap, because last week we had RFK Sunday, which was incredibly successful. If you guys didn't hear, the bake sale raised over $1,000 for RFK, which is huge. So that's a great thing. But uh, for where we are, the, uh, the Corinthian church was, uh, was kind of a messed up place. They, uh, they were started by Paul on, their second mission, on his second missions trip to uh, Greece. He spent 18 months there uh, building the church. And... Uh, He essentially had to move on to go elsewhere. But uh, Corinthian, or uh, the city of Corinth, was kind of an interesting place because it used to be a big Greek city, but then it was destroyed about 164 B.C. And from that point, it became rebuilt by uh, the Romans. And so it was this hodgepodge of culture in Corinth that was Roman, Greek, and Jewish. And they were kind of this just like mix-match of all sorts of different things. But they had a lot of heaviness sitting over their culture because in the Greek time, there was a huge temple to the goddess Aphrodite there where there were a lot of temple prostitutes, essentially. The Aphrodite was a goddess of love. And uh, they were there that they expressed their worship through sex with these people. And that kind of immorality kind of hung over the church throughout the whole rest of the time. So even though it wasn't necessarily there when Paul built the church, that spirit, kind of like what's going on in Mardi Gras right now over in New Orleans, where Pastor Brian is right now, it just kind of hangs in the air over there, and they're left with that. So there's a lot of that that's going on, too, right now in our church. It's like here in America, we're a lot like the Corinthian church. So out of of all the churches Paul wrote letters to, the one that we're probably most like here in America is the Corinthian church. Because here in America, we're dealing with the same problems with sexual immorality. And uh, so, like I said, I I forgot to put the right sermon bumper up there. Uh, I actually do the slides. And so I've been excited as we've been going through the Corinthian letters because I've known what's been coming up. I've been seeing it. I've been going, okay, well, it's like Corinthians chapters 5 and 6 deal with some heavy issues. And I was wondering, it's like, I wonder how Brian is going to approach this when he gets up here. And it turns out what he was going to do was go to Mardi Gras and say, hey, why don't you talk about it? And it's like, thanks? It's like, I'm not, I'm not used to doing this, so it's an interesting starting point. So, oh, thanks. So, uh, before, before we start, uh, I just want to say that, uh, that Jesus doesn't play games or mince words with this church. This is his church, not our church. And he's protective of this, like a father is. And obviously, he's a very good father. And uh, here in America now, we we like to separate parts of the Bible. We like to say that if Jesus wasn't the one saying it, that it doesn't carry the same kind of weight. But we believe the Bible to be the inspired word of God all the way through. Second Timothy says, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, Paul was talking about the Old Testament when he said it, but it still applies for how we view the Bible right now. And so when here in America we say that, well, maybe we should second guess what Paul had to say because it wasn't Jesus talking, the truth is that actually all the letters in the Bible would be red letters because it's all breathed by the Holy Spirit. So let's get into here what's going on with Corinthians. So, what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod? or with love and a spirit of gentleness? It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you rather not to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and as if if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing." When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. That's a lot. That's heavy. Here here in America, it's particularly heavy to us. Uh, Another version of uh, the Bible says that the... uh, the immorality that's going on is so uncommon the pagans don't even have a name for it. It's like a man is sleeping with his stepmother and it's carrying the same implication as if he was sleeping with his own mother. And the problem is, is that the church in Corinth, I mean this was obviously bad enough, but the church in Corinth was, was proud of it. They were boastful, they were arrogant. They were saying, this is a good thing. So we're taking egregious sexual immorality and we're saying it is a good thing as a church. I, I can't help but notice the comparisons. Like I said, the Corinthian church is a lot like the American church today. So we have our current struggles where many denominations are affirming LGBTQ stuff. We're saying that this is also a good thing. And there's a big difference between struggling with sin and saying that sin is good. Sin is never ordained by God. And the problem is, is that as whole church communities are... Addressing sin and saying that it is a positive thing much like the church in Corinth was doing we are in a very dangerous ground And then Paul Says something now that we're we're just even beyond able to deal with he actually says that Deliver this man over to Satan. It's like that's Obviously as Christians, it's not something we want to do But what he's talking about is he's wanting to separate the man from the rest of the church Because what he's doing is so bad that it's going to infect the rest of the church. This is uh, an example of church discipline. We, uh, we, we don't like the word discipline. We really don't like the word discipline when it comes from the church because it's not something that we're used to. We don't think of it that way. But church discipline is an act of love. They talk about in the Bible if, uh, if your brother has sinned that you should go to him one-on-one and talk to him. Or if that doesn't work, then to get a second person and go talk to him together. And then if he still is unrepentant, to get the whole church and say it in front of the church that, hey, this guy is, you know, needs help. And it's in an act of love to try and get people to encourage him to turn from his sin. It's not a loving thing if we're, uh, if we're just letting our brothers and sisters fall into sin without going forward. But that's what's happening in Corinth. They're encouraging it. Paul says that, uh, Paul says that uh, they need to purge the evil man from among you. He's uh, turning them over to Satan so that the destruction of their flesh can be complete. And that's something where it's here on earth, we look at it as in America, how our whole basis is comfort. We're not really interested in being, you know, uncomfortable. We don't want to deal with the hard stuff. But the problem is is that Paul is prioritizing eternity over this temporary comfort. And he does it time and time again. Jesus does the same thing. Jesus says actually to cut off your own hand if it causes you to sin because it's better to throw one part of your body into the fire than the whole thing. Sorry. So God doesn't play games with our souls. Every single time it's eternity over this life. And Paul launches into a, uh, a lesson on uh, leavening. Uh, has anybody ever made bread? Anyway, So if you've made bread, you add yeast to it, what happens? The bread rises. It's like you add a little bit of yeast, it causes the whole dough to rise. It doesn't just rise part of it. So your boasting is not good. Do you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. As you really are unleavened for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. This is, this is just the thing. Obviously, Paul's making the comparison of uh, leavening for the sin in uh, the church. And I got to say lump a whole bunch of times, which is kind of odd. Nobody likes saying that one. But, uh... The thing is with unrepentant sin, especially of this magnitude, is that there's no way for an unrepentant sin like this to just stay with the person who's committing it. Something when the the whole church is rallying behind and saying this is a good thing and we're proud of this, that it can stay with just that person and this is what we're seeing in the church now. So the difference, uh, sorry. I'll get through this. So then Paul is uh continued talking and uh, he says that he's making the observation of the difference between dealing with somebody within the church or somebody without outside of the church. Paul's not talking about a non-believer dealing with this. It's essentially the idea that he doesn't expect non-believers to live like Christians. And it's, it's a hard thing for us to gather as, you know, Christians. It's like the world's going to do what the world's going to do. We had the Grammys a couple weeks ago, and there was the big performance that everybody was all up in arms about, and it was kind of one of those things where we say, well, what do you expect? It's like the world is going to do what the world is going to do, and that's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul wants us to judge properly what's going on inside of the church and leave the world to God to deal with. It's like, And then he would talk about, How he's, but here, we'll read it. But now I am writing you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, a reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church from whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Personally, I don't even know how to deal with that. It's like the idea of asking somebody to leave the church is just something that we can't even handle. It's like, I know I can't handle it. I don't know what I would do. But uh, the thing is, is obviously it should never hit that point. It's like we're supposed to have brothers and sisters in our life that can call us accountable before we ever hit this level. Uh, we've talked about it many times. Brian's always bringing it up. There's, uh, there's three people everybody should have in your life as a Christian. You should have a Paul, you should have a Barnabas, and you should have a Timothy. Paul is somebody who pours into you like, uh, like a pastor, like a father to you. Uh, Barnabas is somebody that walks alongside of you and encourages you. Timothy is somebody that you're pouring your life into. So uh, for me, I mean, I, I have a couple Barnabas, but... Uh, Chase. Over there, Chase. Pointing with the microphone. He's my Barnabas. Uh, him and I have been talking together and... For gotta be four to five years at this point, every morning. It's kind of laxed at this point because our work schedules have changed a bit and so it's kind of difficult. But uh this is what we do for each other. We're iron sharpening iron. We we call each other to the mat when it's necessary. We rebuke sin in each other's lives. And it's hard at first, it's an awkward situation, even at sometimes. It's like we've had those moments where you know, Chaser, I felt like something was wrong, but we didn't say anything because we didn't want to push it. But, you know, every single time, God calls us back and says, like, hey, this is what you guys are here for. And it's, uh, it's been just a humongous blessing. It's one of those things where it's really drawn us closer, even though it's something that seems like it would drive people apart. And uh, it's an awkward thing to start to have that level of openness and commitment with somebody. I know it took us a while to really get into a groove, but it's like, as weird as it sounds if you just ask a friend to say, like, hey, you know, do you want to do this with me? It's like, I think we actually started because Brian was talking about this, and we looked at each other and said, so are we going to do this then or what? And it was like, okay. So we actually started talking every single day on our way to work, and it's like it's made a huge difference in both of our lives. And uh, we're going to move on here, but it's, it's been... Something that I've desperately needed in my life is that that level of openness and commitment with the brother. Because obviously I have my wife. It's like she's wonderful, but even she can't understand like another man would sometimes. And it's like that's that's an important connection to make. And Paul is going to continue here. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Ah, Excuse me. That's one of my favorite turnarounds. Paul hits us with this humongous list of terrible deeds and sins and says but such were some of us it's like it's it's not who we are now uh personally it's like this uh this whole area is a very sore subject and a, a big example of god's grace in my life uh for uh for my own personal testimony uh when i was five i uh, i ran into pornography for the first time five years old i uh I look at my son now. My son's five, and I think of what he's doing and what he knows. And the the thought of him encountering this at five years old is just mind blowing to me. It wasn't abuse. I wasn't molested or anything, but it, it was a spiritual abuse in my life. And from that time period, going all the way up to through marriage, and honestly, to up to about six or seven years ago, this thing ran my life. I was married. I thought that marriage was gonna fix it, it wasn't. I thought that having kids was gonna fix it, it didn't. It was over and over and over again, this well I just kept going back to every single time. And uh, I spent a lot of time arguing and fighting with my wife about it. not really arguing and fighting because I didn't really have a leg to stand on. I was very obviously in sin, I was I was struggling, I was broken, I was hurting, and I, I had nothing to go on. And there were so many times when we would fight that I would beg in my head for her to just leave me because I was so broken and miserable that I just I couldn't handle it anymore. I, I wanted the what I thought would have been the easy comfort of just being alone in my sin again. And it's like, thank God that she was obviously given some form of, spiritual encouragement to never quit and i don't know if you know my wife she doesn't know when to quit but uh i think that's a that's a god-given gift for her there hopefully she exercises more wisdom in it but that's a different point but uh but it's it's one of those things where it's like i went to uh sexual recovery groups i went to an accountability group and i was there for probably a year and a half and things were going great and i stopped going and I went back to the well. I went back to my old ways after I left the group. I, uh, I had the first taste of real accountability in my life. And then even from that point, I turned away from it because sometimes sin is easier. This is, this is not an easy road that we've picked walking in, uh, in under God. It's like Christianity's difficult. It's like I wish it was easier. It's like it's not, but God gives us the strength to get through it. We, uh, we had our oldest daughter and... I remember because my dad, my dad had the same struggles as I did, and it actually was leading to my parents getting a divorce, and it sounds weird, but he he died of cancer before, so they didn't have to go through a divorce, but I mean, I was, it was a horrible thing. My dad was never able to shake it, and I knew that when I had kids, it's like that I was going to pass this on to them. They were going to learn about this from me, because they were going to find it, just like I did with my dad, and... It wasn't something that I was okay with, but it was still not enough to make me stop. And that's, that's hard. That is, that is a hard realization. So what ended up happening was, is I just, I couldn't take it anymore. I was, I was just broken, and I started reaching out to some of the other guys in the old church that I used to go to. There was a, a man named Gilbert who just poured into my life constantly. I mean, he was, he was the spiritual father that I never had, because... My dad was so drowning in sexual sin, he didn't know how to lead our family. And uh, through Gilbert and talking with, with many other guys, it's like God started to redeem this in my life. He started using an opening where I would be able to talk to other guys about this. It's like this has been something now for probably the last 10 years. Even while still struggling, God has been using for me to be able to talk to other men about this. This is a very sensitive subject for me. This is something... Weirdly enough to say, I love to talk about. It's like, and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of an open book about it. A lot of the guys here know it's like I don't keep a secret. It's like mixed companies, kind of a new thing for it. I don't tend to talk to women about this struggle, but God's going to do what God wants to do, apparently, for this. so God, uh, God has redeemed my story through this. It's been seven years of true, actual freedom. Uh, if you... Uh, if you would have told me you know ten years ago that I would be on a, a leadership board at a church and then talking up here on a Sunday morning, I would have said you were absolutely insane, but like I said it's it's just where we where we've come through it's like and the the thing about it is is that sexual sin and pornography is is an absolute prison. It's like we get stuck there and then we we honestly keep ourselves there. It's like we want to you know. God, God has given us freedom, but we don't know how to walk in it. I, uh, I want to just go through some statistics because pornography is something that, you know, infects our church, and we don't even realize how bad it is. So uh, do you guys know what the Barna Group is? They're like a, a survey group. They're very, they're very popular. You've probably read a survey or two that they've done. And they've done uh, quite a few surveys on, uh, on pornography use. And so we're going we're gonna to go through this here for a bit. So, over 40 million Americans are regular visitors to pornography websites. There are around 42 million different pornography websites. The pornography industry has an annual revenue, more than the combined total, of the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball. 47% of families say that porn is a problem in their home, and its use has increased marital infidelity by 300% the average child in America is exposed to pornography first by age 11 with 94 percent of kids being exposed by 14 I can only imagine that's that age is plummeting quickly the more and more the internet is becoming what it is 56 percent of American divorces cite an obsessive porn interest and getting into the church 68 percent of church-going men and over 50% of pastors view pornography on a regular basis. Of young Christian adults ages 18 to 24, 76% actively search for pornography. 59% of pastors say married men seek their help for pornography use. Truthfully, I wish this number was 100%. In every church you go to, there are men dying of this sin. There's women too, but it tends to be more common with men. And of pastors should be saying that people are coming to them saying, we need help from this. 55% of married men and 25% of married women say they watch pornography at least once a month. 57% of pastors say that pornography addiction is the most damaging issue in their congregation, while 69% say it has adversely impacted the church. If you've ever struggled with sexual sin, you know that these numbers are low because... This is a sin that likes to be in secret. This is something that people aren't talking about. So this is just people who are willing to admit to it. And I'm sure that number's a lot higher. The uh, the other side to uh, the pornography industry is it's directly tied to and fueling sex trafficking throughout our country. We just had the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl is the most trafficked day in America. And that's here, that's in America. We like to think sex trafficking is something that exists outside of America, but it's not here at home. It's like the people who star in these films and do all this stuff, a lot of them are not there by choice. They're stuck and they can't get out and they're being trafficked and prostituted. And then every time we go to a website, we're contributing to that. It's a horrible thing. Paul doesn't leave us there. Paul says, it's this great turn, and such were some of you. But you were washed and you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The, uh, the Corinthians were, were hugely influenced by their culture. They, uh, they believed this lie from their culture that everything was going to be okay, that they didn't have to worry about this. The, uh, the Greek philosophy at the time was that uh, mental and mindful and spiritual things were above bodily things, that functions of the body were just very base instincts, and so you couldn't do anything about it. So they had this like slogan at the time, it's like Paul, Paul brings it up several times, the, uh, the all things are lawful for me. This is a misrepresentation of the freedom they would have in Christ. So Paul would say, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. So it's a, a direct quote that Paul is referencing. He's like, I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, But God will destroy them both, one or the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. So the the Christian theology at this point is totally different than what the Greek philosophies were teaching, and the Roman philosophies. They were saying that as Christians, we're we're mind, body, and soul. We're we're like a trinity. It's funny how that's reflected. But uh, things that happen in the body affect the spirit, and the soul, and the mind just like things that happen in the mind can affect the body. And so this was an entirely different look. So they believed that their base sexual urges were something that they could fulfill, and it wasn't a big deal because it was just bodily urges, so there was no difference. Like food, it was just something that they were going to have to have, so it didn't matter. But this is uh, obviously a big deal. Paul says to uh, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit uh, within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price to glorify God in your body. The, uh, the thing about sexual sin is it hits differently than other kinds of sin. Uh Paul says it. It's a, it's a sin against your own body, and that's kind of the whole point. It's like the idea of sexual sin, or even sexual sin within the church, staying within the church is impossible. It's it's just something that that really just takes over. It's like uh, are you guys familiar with what dopamine is? Dopamine is the happy hormone. As you uh, as you trigger the happy hormone, it's something that helps connect you to uh, your spouse or to friends and everything else. It gives you that good feeling that makes those connections that allows you to, you know, not experience love. Love is an act as well as, you know, a feeling at times. And dopamine's what help triggers that feeling. But the problem is, is that when we engage in sexual sin, we're triggering that feeling, and we're literally rewiring how our body responds to pleasure. And when you have... This level of dopamine with the way that, as Americans, we consume sexual sin, it changes exactly how our body is going to react to it. So we need that dopamine hit more and more. We go back to the source. It's how sexual sin, like pornography, leads to sex trafficking, because it's never enough. Sin is a raging beast that can never be satisfied. You always need more. And it becomes this endless cycle of we... We commit sin, and then we feel guilty, and then we are sad because we're feeling guilty and we're depressed, and so we commit the sin to feel better, and we don't know how to break out of that cycle. It's, uh, it's terrible. And uh, sexual sin is just so devastating because of how it rewires us. Sex is one of the greatest gifts God has given us as, uh, as humanity, and when you have such a powerful gift that God has given us to connect, I mean, Jesus affirms this, is that uh, for this reason uh, a man will leave his parents and uh, be with his wife and they will become one flesh. It's like there's a connection that's made through sex. And without that, when you put it in the wrong place, it can lead to such terrible destruction. God's uh, got a lot of boundaries on sexual morality in the Bible. It's like he's very, very clear about it. He's not whispering about it. And uh, there's a, a pastor I like to listen to that uh, most people don't necessarily like, but that's okay, we're not going to name him. But he likes to say that uh, sex is like a fire. When it's, uh, when it's in the fireplace in your house, it's an absolutely beautiful thing. But when the fire's not where it's supposed to be, it's going to burn your whole house down. And that's, that's the point entirely. It's like God is very clear about where we're supposed to be with our sexual morality. And when we walk outside of that place, we're just, we're just aching for destruction. And unfortunately, our mind is so clouded and so distorted by all the sin in our lives that we can't hear God. We can't hear him reaching out to us. When I, uh, when I was really struggling in the midst of my, uh, of my pornography sin at uh, our old church, it's like I was, in, it was, I was in church this entire time. And it's like there were times where you know, like, I felt like a cloud lift and I could actually, you know, focus on God in ways that I couldn't. And there was a specific moment at church during worship where, you know, I actually felt like I heard God speak to me. And he told me to come and let me wash your dirty feet. And it was, I I couldn't handle it. I, I can still barely handle it. It was obviously very impactful in my life. And the problem is with, with sin. It's not like God still can't use us when we're in sin, but it creates such this fog in our mind that it's hard for the Holy Spirit to break through. And the reason, I mean, we have it, it's like Paul talks about it being a sin against your own body and for us to glorify God in our body. The, uh, the body that we have now on this side of the cross is entirely different than what the people in the Old Testament live with. It's like the Holy Spirit is our, is, our body is the literal dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. It's like, that's the, the place in the Old Testament in the temple when, when they had the, the Holy of Holies was where the presence of God rested in the Bible at the temple. This was like the innermost sanctum. And it was so powerful that one guy, one day a year was able to go into this place and it's like, and funny, they actually used to put bells and a rope on him, so when he stopped moving, if he something was wrong, they could pull him out of the tent. It was just the just the powerful presence of God. And this is this is the place that the Christian now lives. It's like that God is actually within us, and when we're committing sexual sin, it's defiling the temple of the Lord. Uh, just like all the horrible things you read about in the Old Testament when they were when they were. The temple was destroyed, and the evil kings in the area would defile the temple. It's like, this is what we're doing now on a daily basis. But fortunately, God's grace is totally sufficient for us. We don't you know, necessarily feel it all the time, because a lot of times if you're in that place, you're struggling already. You already have this cloud over your mind. The, uh, the great point is, is that uh, we don't have to stay in that place it's like there there is hope there is freedom if uh if you are struggling in this area if you're a guy i would i would highly recommend coming to men's group uh you need people in your life you need friends you need brothers and sisters in christ that are willing to go to the mat with you over these issues it's like you need a a, a real friend isn't somebody who's just going to blow sunshine up your butt all the time It's like you need somebody, that's a quote from my wife, just so you guys know. You You need somebody who's willing to hit those hard places with you. It's like you need somebody who's willing to go there. We need to turn to the Lord every single time. Repentance is key. We need to go back to it. Sometimes if you're struggling, it's like we're repenting daily. I remember times in my life I felt like I was repenting every hour. It's like there's just... There's just this, this weight that's lifted when you, when you take your problems to God. Uh, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's the point where the way we're wired, the way we're built, is we're going to be slaves to something we're either going to be a slave to sin or we're going to be a slave to Christ. If we're not actively killing the sin in our life on a daily basis, then the sin in our life is actively killing us. It's it's, it's a hard thing. Fortunately for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden No. Oh.